Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. This is going to be episode 157 of The Informed Catholic, episode 157 of this year. So, uh, if you like what I do, and you think I'm doing a good job at this podcast, you can subscribe and share. It would be a great help. Nothing fancy in this podcast. Uh, I don't even have fancy music. (laughs) But who knows? Maybe things will get better in the future and I could improve. So let's begin. We're going to do the 25th Sunday of Ordinary Time. I just uh, broadcasted the, um, posted the uh, 24th Sunday, which was extremely late. But hey, uh, better late than never. So we're going to do the 25th Sunday of Ordinary Time. So let's begin. Let's start with the opening prayer. Okay. Let's do the uh, classic act of contrition. This is the one that was used for uh, the Latin Mass. All right. I confess to Almighty God, to Blessed Mary Ever-Virgin, to Blessed Michael the Archangel, to Blessed John the Baptist, to the holy apostles Peter and Paul, and to all the saints, that I have sinned exceedingly in thought, word, and deed, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I beseech Blessed Mary ever Virgin, Blessed Michael the Archangel, Blessed John the Baptist, the holy apostles Peter and Paul, and all the saints, to pray to the Lord our God for me. May Almighty God have mercy upon us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. May the Almighty and merciful Lord grant us pardon, absolution, and remission of all our sins. Amen. That's a nice one. Actually, I will. I really wish we could do that at uh, Mass, naming all the saints. Okay, so let's move to the Gloria. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world. Receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and the glory of God the Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. Uh, Well, uh, now we are in the 25th Sunday in Ordinary Time. And we're going to begin. Let's do the, um, the first reading here is from the Book of Wisdom. Okay, so... The first reading is from the Book of Wisdom. We hardly ever um, hear uh, read from these books, uh, which are known as deuterocanonical books, or as Protestants refer to them as apocrypha. They're not really apocrypha. They're scripture. All right, let's begin. It's chapter 2, verse 12, 
to 17, 17 to 20. Let us condemn him to a shameful death. A reading from the Book of Wisdom. The wicked say, let us beset the just one because he is obnoxious to us. He sets himself against our doings, reproaches us for transgressions of the law, and charges us with violations of our training. Let us see whether he is, his words be true. Let us find out what will happen to him. For if the just one be the Son of God, God will defend him and deliver him from the hand of his foes. With revilement and torture, let us put the just one to the test that we may have proof of his gentleness and try his patience. Let us condemn him to a shameful death for according to his own words, God will take care of him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, I'm going to read to you. This is from the New Catholic Version. I'm going to read to you um, that whole passage. Okay, starting from verse 10. Uh, Book of Wisdom, chapter 2, starting from verse 10. Let us oppress the righteous man who is in need. Let us not spare the widow or show respect for the venerable, gray-head of the aged. Let me read that one more time again. Let us oppress the righteous man who is in need. Let us not spare the widow or show respect for the venerable gray head of the aged. Rather, let our might serve as the yardstick of justice. For what is feeble has proved itself useless. Let us wait in hiding for the righteous man, for he inconveniences us and opposes our deeds. He reproaches us for our sins against the law and accuses us of failure in what we have been taught. He claims to have knowledge of God and refers to himself as a child of the Lord. I don't like that. It should say son of God. He has become for us a reproof for our manner of thinking. And the very sight of him is a source of pain to us. For his life is unlike that of others. And his ways are just as different. He considers us to be counterfeit. And he steers clear of our ways as unclean. He proclaims the final end of the righteous as blessed. And he boasts that God is his father. Let us see if what he says is true. Let us probe what will happen at the conclusion of his life. For if the righteous man is a child of God, he will defend him. It should say the son of God and deliver him from the power of his enemies. Let us test him with insults and, tor and torments so that we may be able to be to be able to master his gentleness and ascertain the depth of his forbearance of evil. Let us condemn him to a shameful death, since according to his words, he will, he will be protected. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I, I'm, I'm rather, I, this is the problem with translations. Unfortunately, the translators, I don't know why they softened it. It should say the son of God for like the verse here in the reading for the just one. For if the just one be the son of God, God will defend him.
and deliver him from the hand of his foes. Unfortunately, that is a problem. Who knows? They'll probably, they'll probably go back and correct that. It's really a nice translation, but unfortunately, you're not going to be satisfied. The Revised Standard Version still stands as the best, and the second edition is better. Unfortunately, I don't like the New American one. The New American Bible, I think it's a horrible translation. Even this one, unfortunately, in the the part when the creation, the book of Genesis, they, they don't like to say that God created man. They say God created humanity in his image. And, they tr and it's always this nonsense of political correctness and inclusivity. It ruins translations. And I hate it when these things enter into our translations because... Majority of these political correct people, these activists, they're not going to read the Bible. They just want to see you bend to them. And they have no right. And people should not bring in these, these political social justice views into the church. They should stay outside the church because I don't think majority of them even care. People who want God, seek God, care. And the word of God should remain not like everyday language. I mean, it should be translated clear and understandable. But don't bend the knee to secularism and bring secularism into the church. It doesn't work that way. All right, that's one part of the interpretation. Now, all right, I'm going to stick to the missile. <laughs> this is a prophecy of Jesus. It's a prophecy of the Pharisees persecuting our Lord, the, the, the temple authority persecuting our Lord. Um, let us beset the just one because he is obnoxious to us. He sets himself against our doings, reproaches us for the transgressions of the law, and charges us with violations of our training. Let us see whether his words be true. Let us find out what will happen to him. For if the just one be the son of God, God will defend him and deliver him from the hand of his foes. With the revilement and torture, let, let us put the just one to the test that we may have proof of his gentleness and try his patience. Let us condemn him to a shameful death. For according to his own words, God will take care of him. It's a beautiful passage. It's originally they have found a copy of it in Hebrew and they have found copies of it in Aramaic, but it's mostly, um, it comes from the, the Subduagent and it's, it's beautiful. It's a, you know, I, when I first got a hold of this translation, when I first became Catholic, I couldn't believe what I was reading. And I, I mean, I love the fact that now as a Catholic, I have these extra books to read. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful translation. It's a beautiful prophecy. A sad prophecy. An eye-opening prophecy. Um, and it's one that Catholics should read. You should read it during Lent. Because it's read. And because it speaks of the passion of our Lord. And it's a. It's, you can put it right there with... The crucifixion, the passion scene. It's just fantastic. And it's, you know, when you read it, 
over and over again, you're amazed how God has planned everything for our salvation. It brings you closer to Jesus and it makes you appreciate his suffering, his agony and suffering. Okay, uh, let's move on to the psalm. Okay, now it's uh, Psalm 54. The Lord upholds my life. The Lord upholds my life. O God, by your name save me, and by your might defend my cause. O God, hear my prayer. Hearken to the words of my mouth. The Lord upholds my life. For the haughty man have risen for haughty men have risen up risen up against me. The ruthless seek my life. They set not God before their eyes. The Lord upholds me. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord sustains my life. Freely will I offer you sacrifice. I will praise your name, O Lord, for its goodness. The Lord upholds my life. Let's read it one more time. The Lord upholds my life. O God, by your name save me, and by your might defend my cause. O God, hear my prayer. Hearken to the words of my mouth. The Lord upholds my life. For the haughty men, for haughty men, for the haughty men have risen up against me. The ruthless seek my life. They set not God before their eyes. The Lord upholds me. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord sustains my life. Freely will I offer you sacrifices. I will praise your name, O Lord, for its goodness. The Lord upholds my life. It's always, um, I think it's a good idea to, to really um, to start practicing the liturgy of the hours uh, for Catholics to consider uh, taking part in it. I think um, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm doing this, the, the four volume, not that I have to, we're not compelled to. The rosary is supposed to be part of our daily religious life. Yes, but also you should, we should be able to read the Bible more. Um, I don't know why Catholics don't pick up the Bible or take part in the Liturgy of the Hours, but I think the reason why is, is because we don't have a culture of prayer. I mean, we do have prayerful people. There are Catholics who do it, but I really believe that I think the problem lies in the fact that um, there should be more, um, there should be more, uh, Catholics should be encouraged. It's a noisy Saturday night uh, out there, but there should be more encouragement for prayer. And I think it's the, it's the fault is, um, what's in the church. I mean, I think caring about catechism is important, but I think from our youth, we should develop more traditional prayers, prayers that we can say, um, adopt a more uh, traditions at, at home that we can pray or pray on our own. It should be part, it should, it should have been part of the church life daily. The rosary is great and the rosary should be encouraged. But unfortunately, I think what happened was is that 
um, there, there's somehow, there's some kind of detachment. It may be because of the culture within the church. I think, especially among the Novus Ordo. But there should be some beautiful home rituals. I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about Judaism. There's a certain prayer that they say to welcome the Sabbath. There's a certain prayer life to that that Christ, that uh, women have to welcome the Sabbath. There is a certain prayer that that Jews say when they get up in the morning, and I think the problem is is that because we give them, I think because the church has has given Catholics the freedom, and has not, in a sense, um, set up a culture of prayer. I think the problem is when when suddenly when catechesis ends, and uh, suddenly they're they're more entwined with the culture. They don't, they, um, they don't feel compelled. There's no Catholics are not compelled to pick up the Bible because some people think that'll make you into a Protestant for some reason. We just don't read the Bible yet. The church is the one who puts out the Bible. And yet we, we have the Bible every single day. We have a three year cycle of Bible reading on Sundays and two-year cycle on weekdays. Catholics, when we come in, that's basically part of the liturgy, the liturgy of the word. And I don't understand why you why you, you don't want to read the Bible. No. And it seems like they, 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 they think we just don't read the Bible like it's a given. No, it's not true. That's not true at all. You should read the Bible. And I think we need to develop a whole new spiritual culture within the church. And I don't mean spiritual culture as to make it um, like an add-on. I mean really engraved in our lives, in our in our daily practices, engraved in our being, in our thinking, the way we need to develop, develop a, 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 a prayerful way of thinking, a spiritual, a cultural way of, of thinking about prayer. We need to make it part of our daily life. And I think the liturgy of the hours is a beautiful way of doing it. Uh, I don't, I'm not saying that everyone has to do the four volume set, but there is a single volume, but I think there needs to be a more, a more serious approach to prayer, a more serious, serious approach to reading scripture, a more serious, serious approach in living your daily Catholic life spiritually every day. And I think we need to change it. I think, unfortunately, with the Novus Ordo, there has become a, a, a great uh, indifference. And I think it's shameful. It shouldn't be that way. It should be taken more seriously. And I think we need to change that in the way Catholics from cradle to the grave think about prayer. All right, let's move on to the next, the next reading. Okay, the second reading is uh, a reading from the letter of St. James, chapter 3, verse 16, to chapter 4, verse 3. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace for those who cultivate peace. A reading from the letter of St. James. Where, uh, beloved, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder. 
and every foul practice, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle complaint, full of mercy, good fruits, without inconsistency or insincerity. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace for those who cultivate peace. Where do the wars and where do the conflicts among you come from? Is it not from your passions that make war within your members? You covet but do not possess. You kill and envy and put and, and but you cannot obtain. You kill and envy but you cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not possess because you do not ask. You ask but do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. Okay, let's read it one more time. Beloved, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder. And every foul practice, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure and peaceable, gentle complaint, full of mercy and good fruits, without inconsistency or insincerity. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace for those who cultivate peace. Where do the wars and where do the conflicts among you come from? Is it not from your passions that make war within your members? You covet but do not possess. You kill and envy but you cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not possess because you do not ask. You ask but do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You have to admit, there is there is there's um, really interesting um, analogies here. There's really, really good. I mean, where jealousy and selfishness, selfishness, ambition exists, there is disorder in every foul practice. And but the wisdom from above is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle, complaint, full of mercy and good fruits, without inconsistency or insincerity. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace for those who cultivate peace. I'm re uh, listening to an audible book on Eden, <clears throat> on the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. And it's told by from the perspective of Adam. And it's obviously a fiction, but it also uses a lot of scripture. And you have Adam, really old Adam, giving his story to Enoch, who want, who asked him to tell everybody his story about how it all started and what went wrong. And the story obviously takes place after Eve's passing. And Adam tells him the story and you just in 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 the in it is really interesting. There is a lot in there about it's a lot of it. I mean it's like, I think the guy did his research very well. And he does manifest the image, uh, image of God the Father. He obviously um, brings God the Father in the story in a very human appearance, but still God, most definitely. And he's loving. He's loving and cares about Adam, calls Adam his son, calls Eve his daughter. But, but since their fall... Their passions are disordered and they're confused and they take things personal. And it's, it's really, 
I mean, a lot of it, the guy did a lot of it focused on how sin affects relationships and how it affects families. And you expect that. And he, I think he does a good job. And the story of Cain and Abel is very, very interesting because <clears throat> the disordered relationship, the dysfunctional relationship of Adam and Eve affected their sons. And I think that's a fair, a fair approach. And the misunderstanding and the rivalry, the rivalry between Adam and Eve and how it passed down to their, how it affected basically Cain, especially Cain, because Eve's anger towards God, the father was directed. She didn't realize, but it passed to her son, Cain. And eventually, um, the writer also focuses on young Sarah. He gave her the name Sarah, which is a daughter, excuse me, of Adam and Eve. And Cain developed because Abel is very gentle and peaceful. And Abel developed a very um, deep prayer life towards God, especially when the two sons had to present their sacrifices. And of course, Eve and Adam took the idea that one of their, their sons would break the head of the serpent but they didn't realize it didn't meant any time within their lifetime, but it will be something in a faraway future. But that obsession to have a child that will break the curse, unfortunately caused a dysfunctional cane, which resulted later on in the murder of his brother, Abel. I think Cain probably was, was jealous, first of all, of the um, sacrifice that his sacrifice wasn't accepted. And then he basically manifested an idea in his head, created an image in his head that Abel was after his wife, his betrothal, which resulted in the, in the murder. It's a good approach. It doesn't give you, the Bible doesn't give you these particular details. But I don't think we, we are thinking of them or developing some kind of guess. It's, I don't think it's far beyond the truth even though we don't know the details, there's a possibility, especially for, for those of us who love the word of God, to see to to see them, to recognize them, that this is a possibility that it happened like this. At least some something of this thing has happened. And it's a good way to think about it. And I think when we see how James here um, talks about passions and... Um, conflicts and disorder, it basically brought the image of the story Eden. I'll try to get the the, the author's name. Okay. All right. Uh, the Alleluia Antiphon, Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse fourteen. Alleluia, Alleluia. God has called us through the gospel to possess the glo- the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Alleluia, Alleluia. God has called us through the gospel to possess the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 9, verse 30 to 37. The Son of Man is to be handed over. Whoever wishes to be first will be the servant of all. All right.
A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Glory to you, Lord Jesus. Jesus and his disciples left from there and began a journey through Galilee, but he did not wish anyone to know about it. He was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be handed over to men, and they will kill him. And in three days after his death, the Son of Man will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to question him. They came to Capernaum, and once inside the house, he began to ask them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they, were, they remained silent. They had been discussing among themselves on the, way, on the way who was the greatest. Then he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wishes to be the first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. Taking a child, he placed it in their midst, and putting his arms around it, he said to them, Whoever receives one child such as this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The first part, the Son of Man is to be handed over to men, and they will kill him. And in three days after his death, the Son of Man will rise. In the last reading, <clears throat> Jesus spoke this openly. He didn't, he didn't hid this from anybody. He spoke it openly. But what does the term Son of Man mean? Now, unfortunately, it's often interpreted, I hate to say this, and I often see this in my liturgy of the hours. I don't like it. Mortal man. It's not. And it doesn't necessarily mean child of humanity or son of humanity, no. But the son of man refers to something greater. Daniel, noise, noisy Saturday night. It refers to a divine person. Human, but divine. You know, one like the son of man appeared but it's not it doesn't refer to just someone who's human no daniel's talking about someone who comes from god and is going back to god and yet he has a human nature a human appearance and he has a human nature but his origin is divine one before eternity whose 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 days are from eternity and one who is going back to the one who is eternal God going back to God, God from God and going back to God. So this is what the Son of Man means. And Jesus himself obviously fits that description. He has an absolute true human nature. He's a 100% he's human. But he also has a 100% divine nature. And Daniel himself said that this individual will be given all authority and power. All nations and tongues and people will bow to him. And what, one of the things Jesus always says is the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve. And he does it here. He says that he's teaching this to his apostles, that they must not lord it over each other, that they are to be... Um, Above that, they are not to think like these people who are obsessed with power, obsessed with, with rule, who put all their faith in the material world 
and who often separate in a very disordered way, a very disgusting way. They just they separate authority and, and the power given them by God, and they tend to think that their actions have no consequences, that they are not that they are to basically <clears throat> they can separate it because because they they are in the service of God, they can do whatever they want. The answer is no. I mean, it's it's just as, it's just as basically disgusting the way our politicians, who are Catholic, get a free pass. And the bishops aren't the ones at fault because they don't discipline them. They, the apostles, were given a, a task to shepherd and guide the flock. Unfortunately, that's not how the bishops see it. They somehow care only. I remember the other day someone said they care only about outcome but not the process and not whether it's right or wrong. Outcome they care about because they think that it, it will give them that they should have that advantage because in their view, well, we have control of the church and so because we have control of the church, we don't have to worry about all this other stuff. And since obviously we're in control of the church, God has given it to us, we don't have to worry about the consequences of certain things. And that's just a terrible, disordered way of thinking, um, unfortunately. But it, the point is, Jesus wants his apostles, and he wants all of his disciples to think of ourselves as a child, as a, as a, as a, to think of ourselves in a, in a way children are. They trust their parents. They trust everything their parents say to them. And they don't have, and they're, and they don't have to worry about any, you know, they don't worry about anything because they trust their parents because that's what he wants. He wants that child trusting relationship between God and his children. And that's what we should, we should have that trusting relationship to God to think of ourselves as his children and not worry about all this other selfish outcomes. And, you know, all these other stuff doesn't matter. God is in control. I'm not in control of what's going on in the church. I can't worry myself about what the Pope says. I, I get angry and I get upset. But I, I, he's not going to listen to me. The Cardinals are not going to listen to me. The Bishops are not going to listen to me. They have Christ to talk to. And they should think of, of Christ. Him first to the last. That's all that matters. And we have to be, we have to have the faith and the trust of a little child which is difficult, but it's one we have to work to because once we, once you surrender to God, there's nothing else you got to worry about. All right, let's go to the prayers. Okay. Um, now we'll do the, uh, the creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried, and rose again on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, 
who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Okay. Uh, for for the Pope, the Holy Father will say, and the bishops and the priests will say a Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. We'll say a Hail Mary for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, the church that's persecuted uh, in Egypt, in uh, Asia, in Africa, in uh, the Middle East, and even Christians who are persecuted here in the Western world, Europe and the United States. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. And we'll say, um, we'll say also a Hail Mary for the, for the, Dearly departed for the 13 soldiers that passed away in Afghanistan and for all, all of everyone who has a loved one and others who are passing, you know, who have passed away that we don't know about. Um, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. And we'll say Hail Mary for our own personal needs, uh, intentions, okay? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Okay, and now we'll say, um, Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.